You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Lester Messenbrink. I'm the chaplain down at the Gospel Mission. Um, I've been there for just over 11 years and do wonderful, wonderful ministry there. And if you remember, in the last few months, this church has blessed the mission and many of our people in subsidized housing very, very greatly by doing the food drives. Uh, We were able to put out many, many different hampers to people that uh, were there. And all of a sudden, their source of food by coming to the mission was dried up. And we say thank you for all of that. And I'd also like to say thank you to uh, uh, Pastor Meldon and Jason for uh, offering me this opportunity to come and share the Word of God with you tonight, or this morning. i got to remember that. Oh, this is hard. You need to really say thank you to those people that uh, can come and speak into a, a camera and speak with boldness and grace at the same time. Uh, where would I like to start? I would like to start... Uh, with three pieces of trivia randomly connected. And what I would like to do is, I I, I want to show you some slides. Uh, They're in a particular order, and we we want to look at these uh, slides and uh, see what they have to tell us. So the first slide here is Wexner Center for the Arts. It's at Ohio State University. And if you look very closely at it, you'll find that there's several oddities about this. And the thing is, is this building was completed in 1995, and it was uh, over a cost of over $40 million to build this building. The, the part about it that is really amazing is it is postmodern architecture and design. And if you don't understand what postmodern architecture and design is, that means that you, uh, you are like me. You're way behind the times. Um, This is a building that, if you look at those towers right there in front of you, uh, they actually don't stand up straight. As you move to the edge of the building, you find that they're actually leaning backwards toward the building. And that means that also the windows that are framed inside the doorway there, they have to lean and curve. And as you go into the building, hallways get wider and narrower indiscriminately. Stairwells lead up to blank walls. Uh, Columns stand up, but they don't hold anything on top of the column. Uh, Beams come down from the ceiling, but they don't support anything. They're just hanging from the ceiling. It reminds me very much of the attitude of Adam and Eve after the serpent had tempted them. Because he said, God knows that when you taste of the fruit, you'll be like him. You will know good and evil. This is a person who designs this. He's not spending his money. He's spending somebody else's money. And he says, you can't tell me what I can design. I can design that. Now, here's the funny part about this building. Uh, Rabbi Zacharias, the Christian apologist, was uh, speaking at Ohio State University, and they were showing him this building and very proud of it. And he knew what postmodernism was, so he asked them. They told him. And all of a sudden... He asked a question. He said, did they do the same thing with the foundation? 
Within just a few seconds, people started to chuckle because all of a sudden they realized you can build any kind of building you want as long as the foundation is secure. They didn't do postmodern underground. They did very modern concrete and rebar to make sure that they could hold up this building that looks differently and is shaped differently, but it still needed a support that would hold it up. Well, second piece of trivia that's randomly connected here. Originally published in 1812, the book had one of the stories made into a animation cartoon in 1937. And very, very eerily in the opening parts of the book and in the opening of the movie, you hear these words, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Snow White, published by the Brothers Grimm and popularized in the culture by Walt Disney. The story of internal evil hidden by the external beauty of the queen. Think how evil that woman was. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And her heart was set out to destroy anybody that got close to being fairer than she. Now, here's the third piece, and you're going to say that doesn't fit at all with anything you've said so far. Sixty years later, after Snow White, a young Canadian lady named Shania Twain sings this song. And she sings about... I never knew a man who carried a mirror in his pocket. But he kisses his car goodnight. She says in the song, he's a regular, original, know-it-all. And of course, most of us all know, that don't impress me much. Folks, when you look at these three different things, you start to realize there's a, there's a real emphasis on self. And self is really nasty. It really, really is. When we look at this, uh, we see a man who says, I can design a building. But he had to design in all these other safety measures because he designed it in a postmodern way. So the cost overruns were huge. Now, what happens if you break a window that is an odd-shaped window? Now you have to pay extra. You're trying to carpet a room that goes around in a circle, but then all of a sudden there's a flat wall. You spend all of this time fixing and repairing odd shapes at a higher cost. You look at the movie, the fairest of them all. Oh, how selfish is that woman? that all the glory should go to her, that she wants to share nothing with anyone else. And then the song, a man is so impressed with himself. He's so busy patting himself on the, the chest and on the back and any other place he can pat himself that he forgets about the young lady that he's taking out with him. Guys, <laughs> that's not going to impress her much. Now. What does all that have to do with the sermon today? Well, sermon title says, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Yay. Uh, but near the end of James chapter 1, 
I find that there's a exhortation. And as you read certain people about it, they would almost say, well, this is a, a warning. But I, I really want to say this is an exhortation. And he writes to his peers in Christ that have come out of the Jewish faith. It's a very, very uh, Jewish-worded book. And yet he's writing to these people about who they are in Christ. And he's talking about their circumstances, what is happening in their life, what is happening in the life of their church, the persecutions that Judaism is putting on them, let alone the Roman government starting its persecutions. Well, North America, church today, I find some of these same disturbing things. And as I'm the chaplain down at the Gospel Mission, I get to visit with people from many, many different denominations. And I find that they also are seeing some of these things. They also believe that the church is not where it's supposed to be, that there's a whole bunch of people that might be playing church in church. Maybe it's time for us to look at this in a new light. So let's read James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you see the, the encouragement, the exhortation here? It has an admonition, don't be like this, but there's a real encouragement to be who you're called to be in Christ. It's positively active. Be that person and be active as that person. Be a participant with your knowledge of the Scriptures. Be a participant with your knowledge of Christ as Lord and Savior. Be a participant with your local church, your local community. Be an active, vital participant in understanding what God is calling you to do. We have that conjunction right there at the beginning of verse 22. It says, but. Now, that little conjunction takes us back to chapter 1, verse 1, and what follows. It's related to the opening verses. So when we hear, but be doers of the word and not hearers, you look at chapter 1, verse 2, and it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And just after that, he talks about, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. Nothing wavering. You see, he's referring right back to the beginning of what he has to say. And then this conjunction and these words in this paragraph lead us into the next section. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. The expectation is a comparison and a contrast. You have two different people, the hearer and the doer. 
And we're supposed to be able to compare and contrast some of the things because of the illustration that he gives us. Now, what he says to about the hearer here is that they deceive themselves. He does, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And that word deceive means self-deluded. To cheat yourself, to deceive yourself. An illustration of this could be from the parable of the sower. If you look at the parable of the sower, you see these different references there. That's where the, the same parable is given three, in three different books. And as you look at this, you see that there's some things that they all have in common. There's a field. We find out that the field, in reading the different uh, passages, is the world. We have a farmer who is sowing seed. We see that the farmer is God, and he's sowing seed, and the seed is the Word of God. Now, if you stop there, remember what John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the big picture, we can look at the parable of the sower and say, God is planting Jesus into the world, the field of the world. And what did we find in that field? We find hard path. It says seed was scattered there, birds came and ate it up. There's, there's no profit in that. Then there's the rocks. And the rocks, the seed grew up. But when persecution comes, the grain dries up. It doesn't get a head of grain on it. It's useless when persecution comes. And then we have it among the weeds. And when it gets among the weeds, oh, there's a whole different story there. When we, we see it in the weeds, the cares of this life choke it out. It can grow. It can get a gr head of grain on it. It, can, it could be profitable, but it can't be separated out from the cares of this life. And then some falls in the good soil. In good soil, this is, produces 30, 60, or 100 times as much it's very, very profitable. Now, sometimes we would look at maybe this idea of being a doer of the Word and a hearer of the Word, and we would look at that parable and say, well, Christ came into my life. I'm good soil. But if you look at that parable in that bigger picture, that field has hard spots. And folks, I've been up here living my life for 62 years. And I can tell you there's still hard places inside this brain. There's things that I run into in the Word of God that I don't want to hear. And so God has to come back and come back and work on those hard places to break them up so that the seed can grow and be uh, good soil. I find that I have those rocky places. Uh, I want people to like me. I, I, don't, I don't like persecution. I find that the cares of this world and the advertising of this world says, buy this or buy that or run over here and get a bigger house, get a bigger car. I run into those things in my own life. And I also run into the fact that, doggone it, Lester, there's some really good soil there. There are some good things that have happened. There are some uh, very productive things that are, are going on. What he's saying in James is look 
and see, but remember all of it. Now, what do you mean? Well, that's where we step into the next verse. He has his own illustration here. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. You see, we look into a mirror to see me. We don't look into a mirror to see you unless we're trying to spy on you. We look to see us. And we want to make sure that, oh, my hair's combed and, uh, oh, yeah, beard's pretty straight across and, oh, teeth brushed. And for ladies, got your eyebrows painted on, got the lipstick on straight, not smudged. Oh, clothes, do I look good? These are the things, and there's nothing wrong with looking into the mirror and noticing, hey, I, this shirt and these pants don't go together. Maybe I need to change. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says, immediately when he walks away, he forgets what manner of person he is. And it's not about the external appearance. It's about what's going on on the inside. They forget what's going on there. Jesus said this to the Pharisees in one of his discussions with them. Matthew 23, 27 and 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So, all, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's telling these religious leaders that you look really smooth on the outside, but you stink on the inside. They were devious. They used the law to manipulate things so that they got it their way. They forgot about God seeing the thoughts and intents of their heart. If you look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, a hearer of the Word immediately walks away after being challenged with the Word. Yeah, I, I, I love Jesus. Everything's good. They walk away. That's these type of people. They get so physically and externally minded that they forget that God looks on the heart. God wants to change the heart. One author said about the, the hearers, he said they are careless listeners. And the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, these are people with itching ears. They're looking to hear just what they want to hear. Oh, Jesus is love. Everybody gets forgiven. Isn't God wonderful? They forget about truth and righteousness and purity and holiness. They forget that God also says He's going to judge sin. These are things that they willingly forget. In fact, some, in some ways they are like the, the Pharisees standing there when Jesus 
uh, is being challenged about what is the greatest commandment. And he asked this Pharisee, he says, how do you see it? And a man very quickly says, love the Lord your God with everything you are. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're very close to the kingdom. And the man seeking to justify himself says, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan. We call it the Good Samaritan. Because in that story, a priest, somebody who is supposed to help people find God, somebody who is supposed to be able to care for people, sees a man who has been beaten up and robbed and left for dead, and he walks on by without helping. And soon after that, a Levite. Now, the Levites, they were the people that were supposed to clean up in the temple after all of the, the work had been done for the sacrificial system. These were people that uh, they got dirty on a regular basis. And yet, this man might be worried about being ceremonially unclean as well. And he walks by, and he, he looks, and then he walks on by. And yet, the Samaritan comes, the despised person, and he gets off his donkey, and he gets down and he helps the guy. He bandages him up. He gets him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, and then he tells the innkeeper, here's some money, take care of him. When I come back, if I owe you more, I'll take care of it. You see, this man was a doer of the word. See, that's the positive side of what is being said here. It says, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Now, we like to say right here, the one who looks intently. But the word intently isn't in your scripture, is it? But all of the other words bring it back to that. And the word look here in verse 25 means to stoop down, to get close to fully examine, to investigate, to make a choice about the law. It's a huge stop sign. Who is Jesus in your life? Are you prepared to be a doer of the Word of God in your life or not? It's a stop sign that says dig here. Dig into the Scripture. Seek the kingdom. Meditate. Find out who God is. Read the Scriptures. Find out what God would want you to do. Live differently. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9, you're going to read a big extended portion there. It has part of the great command. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. But then it says words like this. This is what you're to teach to your family, your friends, when you walk alongside the road, when you sit down for a meal, when you lay down to go to bed, when you get up and see your neighbor, when you go to work. You're supposed to be living and teaching these types of things to people. It's positive. Be doers of the Word. Look into it intently. Uh, give yourself into it. Romans 12, 1 would tell you to be a living sacrifice. That's a holy and pleasing to God. A living sacrifice gets to live day after day after day. It's a dead sacrifice sacrifices once, and then it's done. Be a living sacrifice. 
the doer gets to see Jesus differently. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, we, we see these words, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has been made manifest to us. John, writing this, says, we have seen Jesus. We have heard Jesus. So let's look at these words. First of all, he says, we heard. That's physical hearing. They walked and talked with Jesus three years or more. They got to see everything that he was doing. They got to hear how he responded to people, how he lifted people up. They got to hear his prayers, all of these things. They physically heard Jesus. But then it says, we've seen. They had physical eyes. They saw Jesus walking on the water. They saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw him as he appeared in the room after the resurrection. They saw Him on the cross. They saw Him when He ascended to be with the Father on high. Physical sight. They saw all these things about Jesus. And then it says we looked at. And in our English version of the Bible, that looks like another name for sight. We saw Him. But actually the word means that we examined Jesus' way of life. We saw that when He dealt with the Pharisees, he did so very, very strictly. But when there was a sinner that was standing in front of him, he was very loving and very gracious. To the proud, he stood firm. To the one who needed help, he loved them and graciously gave help. We saw him in all of these different ways. We examined his life. We examined the Old Testament scriptures. We talked with his mother. So you really were a virgin when you got married? Yep. And you were really pregnant before you got married? Yep. Wait a minute. They examined all of this stuff. They looked at the evidence. And then it says, our hands have touched. Think of all the things that they did with Jesus walking and talking with Him. What a beautiful picture. They were the ones that took the loaves and the fish from the little boy and gave them to Jesus. They were the one that received them back. And all of a sudden, as people were breaking off bread or, or taking a chunk of fish... It just seemed to keep multiplying and multiplying, and all of a sudden they're feeding all these people. And then, not only did they touch Jesus, that last night, He washed their feet. He physically touched them. And John says, this is how you get to know who Jesus is. You see Him in all these different aspects, and you take the time to be the doer of the Word, to look intently, to pursue. And He says... But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Now, wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, as I said earlier, start back at the beginning of the chapter. Start back and look that let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And how does that happen? Because of troubles, because of perseverance in persecutions. Oh, if you lack wisdom... Ask God. He wants to give you wisdom. And it continues on, 
And you look at that, and it continues on into chapter 2. Don't show partiality. Don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisees basing, oh, this guy looks really good. Let's give him a good seat in church. Uh, you stink. Uh, let, let, let's have you sit at the back right close to a, a, a good fan and an exit. No. The next part's about faith without works is dead, being alone. Or the taming of our tongue. All of these things that follow after. Be a doer of the word. That's the law that leads to perfection. That is the law that is good and perfect in every way. It's the law of liberty. If you want to think of that law of liberty in, in a bigger pattern, consider Galatians 5, and 23. We read there about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. Think about that. The fruit, the word is singular, and yet there's eight manifestations. And yet you get to the end of those eight manifestations and it says, against such things there is no law. You get to practice all of those things very, very lovingly and graciously, and nobody is against you. The fruit of that Spirit continues to give you all of these pieces of the law. Perfect law, the law of liberty. Now let's stop and think about that word law. When we think about the word law, we think about restraining sin, a boundary, a border, a jail cell, Something that keeps sin from uh, just continuing to blossom and grow in the community. But here's the thing about we humans. The more we write laws, the more we break laws. So then we write more laws to compensate for those laws that were broken, and the more men and women break laws. We're very good about breaking laws. Therefore, the law itself can become ineffective. Somebody can kill somebody, and they get a year and a half in jail. Somebody else kills somebody, similar circumstances according to all the media, and they get 20 years in jail. And everybody says, that's not fair. That's not right. And the guy that gets the easy sentence, he says, oh, no, that's fair. The other guy's going, how did this happen? You see, the law can become ineffective. But when we practice what Galatians 5, and 23 says, we practice loving and being gentle and patient and persevering and having self-control. We get to honor people and lift them up and keep them safe. Uh, we get to have peace in our own life. And we don't have to worry about the RCMP or somebody else looking over our shoulder and telling us that we can't do what we are doing. We actually get to reduce the number of laws in our life because when we see the law, we automatically say, that's a good law. It's there for the protection of other people. It's to keep people from sinning. I can participate with that. I can live with that. I can be gracious in there. The life of and with the Spirit of Christ brings freedom instead of rebellion. We come to the end of this, and he says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
there is no definition in here of what that blessing looks like. The best definition I can find would be uh, if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says something like this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Your salvation, your being a doer of the Word, looks different than mine. Think about that. It looks different than mine. And so, you're supposed to live differently than I'd live. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not commonalities. It doesn't mean that there's not good practices. It means that you live your life, and God says, this is the way, walk in it. I live my way, life, and God says, this is the way, walk in it. And we participate jointly, together. We're unified in following Christ. What's the blessing look like? Well, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and God says something like this, I have prepared in advance good works for you to do. Now, the words aren't there, but in short uh, cowboy terms, it'd be sickum. Go do it. Go see the glory of what I've prepared for you to do. Go and do. But there's that warning in there about the hearer being a person who forgets. I want you to think about that. Because many are going to claim to be hearers. Many are going to claim to be hearers. They're going to claim to be people of the faith. But if you look at verse 26... If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You see, the person who is a hearer is not going to be worried about taking care of widows and orphans in their distress. A person who is a hearer is not going to worry about running their mouth in gossip. A person who is a hearer, uh, he's going to do everything he can to avoid persecution so he's going to try and blend in with society. There's a warning here about that person who forgets about the deeper relationship with Christ that he is supposed to have. I want you to return with me to the idea of the mirror, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, you're going to find that uh, a whole lot of preaching happens between verses 4 and 8 and 9. A whole lot of preaching doesn't happen between 1 and 3. You see, chapter 1, or chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, even though they belong to that great love chapter, they have something to say to us. And it says, are you a doer or a hearer? about the love of God. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If, if, if all I've done is run my mouth and talk about how glorious God is and do all these things, that I'm just running my mouth. I really don't love people. I'm not concerned enough to tell my neighbor about the cross of Christ. I'm not willing to participate in somebody else's life to see them come to Christ. See, I just run my mouth. 
a clanging gong, noisy, noisy symbol. Or if I have the prophetic powers and understand mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can remove mountains, you know, if I can tell everybody, well, this is good theology and that's bad theology, but I do it so people reach up here and pat me on the back. I reach up there so I can pat me on the back. I go look in the mirror to see me and how good and smart I am. But I don't love people. It says I am nothing. That's a horrible, empty feeling, isn't it? And then, verse 3, if I give away all I have, I deliver my body to be burned. I can go to some foreign country and be a martyr for Christ. But if I did it just so that my name would be known back home, I didn't really love the people enough to actually take the gospel to them before all the bad stuff happened. He says there, I gain nothing. These are things that we need to look at. You see, as we look in the mirror, are we a doer or a hearer? Are we focused on the external or are we focusing on the internal? Now I want you to jump down in 1 Corinthians 13 to verse 11. And it says there, when I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Now let's stop for a second. Who wrote 1 Corinthians? The Apostle Paul, who used to be the Pharisee Saul. And I want you to think about how smart he was. As a Pharisee, he had probably memorized the whole Old Testament. When he gives his testimony in Philippians, he says, according to the law, I was faultless. He was a Jew of a Jew. He was a tribe of Benjamin. He had all of these things to his credentials. But he was the one in the book of Acts that guarded everybody's purses and coats when they stoned Stephen. And it says he was assenting to the fact of stoning because Stephen was talking about a resurrected Christ. The Messiah had come. Later on in the book of Acts, we see this same Saul. He's headed up to Damascus in Syria, and he's going to look for people who believe like Stephen so he can bring them back and kill them. And God meets him there. When I was a child, as smart as I was, as well-dressed as I was, as rich as I was, I reasoned like a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man... When God grabbed hold of me, things changed. You read the book of Acts and see what God says after he had blinded him and had him go to get his eyesight restored. I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name. But he changed. He was changed. When Christ loaded laid hold of Him. When Christ lays hold of you and I, and we begin to look intently into Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let me add a little piece here. Please, don't, don't try running around and looking at other people saying, are they a doer or a hearer? I've been to those places in my life where I plateaued and it was like for a long time, I just, I just sat there. 
I wanted to love the Lord my God with all my heart. But it was like, I'm coasting, I'm coasting. I can row the boat all I want, but I'm not going any place. Sometimes God gives us a period of that where we have to really seek God. And then sometimes He takes us from there, we've had a rest, and then He sends us to do something specific. Other times, you see Christian brothers and sisters, and their life looks like the yo-yo. It just goes up and down, up and down. And God is working at their life. They're a doer. But they've got so much other baggage that God is still working in so many different ways, and yet they're going forward. Some people you see, and it's like they're on this nice long trajectory, and it's beautiful to watch, and God uses them over and over. So don't go try and diagnose other people. The message is to you and I. Are we a doer or are we a hearer? Presently in our life, COVID-19 has made everything in a glass darkly. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The Apostle Paul, who was the Pharisee Saul, got met face to face on that road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, God showed him his sin. God showed him that he needed a Savior who was Christ the Lord. God showed him that he needed to change his behavior. He knew in part but then he was fully known. And one day, when he stepped into eternity with Christ, he's even more fully known. COVID-19 has made things a glass darkly. We see dimly. We don't know. What's going to church going to look like? We don't know. It's all dim. It's an odd reflection. How's my family going to get through this? We don't know. It's a dim reflection. But we're asking that we would be doers of the word and not hearers. If you come to this, I want you to understand Jesus Christ, crucified, risen again, and coming for us. And he, as the living word of God, asks us to look intently into him so that we might be the doers of the word. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before you and we say thank you. I say thank you that you opened the scripture before us in so many different ways with so many different people. And we rejoice and we celebrate all of these pieces. Father, uh, give us your grace to be able to take this message to heart, to look at the different scriptures, to answer those questions, where am I today? And then, Father, that we might trust you, that you are still working in and around our life. And we say thank you for all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.